Chapter 15 The Fruit Reflects the Root He was one of the first followers of Jesus after his death. His life before following Jesus is quite mysterious and we aren't really given any details about it. After the Holy Spirit fell on the believers, there was a lot of excitement in the crowds of people who were deciding to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus were dedicated to learning more about Jesus and to living like him amongst their community. They gathered regularly to hear preaching from the apostles, to break bread, pray, and worship Jesus. Many were selling their homes and being radically generous with the resources amongst themselves and communities around them. This man would have found himself in the midst of the crowd, serving and offering help wherever it was needed. His love for others was not only impactful on those who were on the receiving end, but was so noticeable for all who found themselves around him. He truly exemplified a life fully surrendered to Jesus that was being manifested through his humility and his pursuit to serve others. He would have gone to meetings regularly. On one day in particular, he found himself in a meeting with some core disciples of Jesus and the apostles. The topic of discussion for this meeting was around the neglected widows. This issue was not one that came intentionally, but rose out of identifying a high need and a low number of helpers to assist. The apostles' solution to the issue was to form a team that would be dedicated to using their skills to participate in the resolution of not only this issue, but over all the current pursuits in serving the poor. The apostles said that the member of this team needed to be people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. To great surprise, I'm sure, this mysterious man was chosen as one of the seven to oversee this operation. This man went on to serve the poor and shared the gospel through teaching and demonstrating God's love through powerful miracles. Although many lives were changed through this man's daily obedience to the Spirit's leading, there were some in his midst who despised him. These men of hatred came up with a plan to get this man in great trouble, which led to him standing trial. While on trial, this man did not back down, but rose to the occasion, and used it as an opportunity to preach the gospel to the crowd. At first, the crowd was quite receptive to his message because he spoke with wisdom through the Spirit about the Old Testament. Nearing the end of his sermon, however, he showed the crowd how everything of old was leading up to Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was killed and rose from the dead. The crowd turned from being receptive to aggressive and began to stone this man of faith. As they did, the Bible says the man had a vision of the glory of God and he asked God to receive his spirit and to forgive those who were killing him. This mysterious, faithful man was Stephen, who was actually the first recorded martyr after Jesus' death. The man, Stephen, is a perfect example of what lifestyle surrendering could look like. He truly surrendered to Jesus daily. On the days when he first heard the gospel, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He then submitted to God's will through being part of a local community of believers and serving those around him. He surrendered and obeyed God on the day he was elected as a humble servant to become a leader serving the poor. We see he surrendered unto death even using his last moments as an opportunity to call people to repent and believe the gospel. I would highly recommend studying Stephen's last sermon before he died, as recorded in the book of Acts. He truly lived a life that represented the nevertheless and you have my yes way of being. There is so much in Stephen's life that reflects this idea of a lifestyle of surrendering. For this chapter, I really want to highlight this one important aspect of his life that I believe is meant to be imitated in ours as we pursue 
living a lifestyle of surrendering. If you have grown up in the church or have been going to church for a while, I would imagine slash I hope you have heard the gospel at least a couple of times by now. Although there can be many ways of presenting the gospel, if you have been going to a Protestant evangelical church, there are some basic points that are made and agreed on. For example, I hope you have been told that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. I hope you know that you are loved immensely by the Father of all things, who is simultaneously the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord over all things. I hope you have been told about the Holy Spirit who now abides in those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. You are now his son or daughter. I hope you have been told we don't do things to earn God's love, favor, approval, acceptance, or forgiveness, but we do everything in response to all these things we have received from Jesus. We work from love, approval, forgiveness, and acceptance. We don't work towards it. I hope you have also been told of his kingdom, which is both here now and coming. Usually what follows after these statements, again, they might be said differently depending on what kind of church you go to, is a call to action to share this love with the world. Usually this action is directly linked to you witnessing to your coworkers, neighbors, friends, and family until one day one of them asks you why are you so different, in which you respond by saying something along the lines of, his name is Jesus and you should really come to my church. This action is meant to be repeated by you and now your new brother or sister in Jesus if they decided to say yes to follow Jesus. I want to be clear, I am not against this method necessarily. I personally know people who have encountered Jesus through faithful believers who submit to this process through action and prayer. Although I am not against it, I do think when followers of Jesus read the Bible for themselves, they may also see that there might be other ways of witnessing that although are uncommon in our day and age, are common in the narrative of Scripture. I think Stephen's story is one that exemplifies another way. I 100% agree that everything we do for Jesus in this lifetime is out of response to what he has already done for us. We receive and respond. Our primary response to this outrageous love of the Father is first and foremost thanksgiving and praise to him. Gratitude is to be expected by all who have received this amazing free gift. As we respond to God in praise and adoration, I believe he continues to fill us with his spirit. As we are filled with him, we then overflow this love to those we find ourselves surrounded by. I love that Jesus says anyone who is a decent person loves the people who love them back, but my followers will love those who hate them. Stephen, even when he is falsely accused, uses this opportunity to share God's love with those who hate him to the point where his final moment on this side of things was a plea to his heavenly father to forgive the people who had hated him. Stephen was able to do this not because he had some great upbringing or the right DNA, but it was because he had encountered the real love of God in such a way it transformed not only how he lived his life, but how he saw the world and the people that surrounded him. He was given new eyes to see not only Jesus, but those who were around him. We receive, respond, and then are given a great sense of responsibility over our lives. I long to have eyes to see Jesus and those around me rightly. I believe as we seek Jesus, we will be given new eyes to see. These new eyes we are given not only allow us to see Jesus and others differently, but even ourselves. Before Stephen's death, he was given the responsibility of taking care of the poor with seven other trusted followers of Jesus. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, says that the apostles wanted seven people who were a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. What is your reputation? 
How would your family member, spouse, friend, neighbor, barista, grocery store cashier, coworker, boss, or anyone else you interact with regularly answer that question? Are you living a life that reflects that you are following Jesus? If you were at the meeting with Stephen, would you have been chosen as one of the seven? Would they describe you as someone who is kind, patient, loving, humble, wise, caring, compassionate, joyful, and generous? This isn't a question about would anyone know what church you go to or would anyone know that you are a Christian? This question is deeper than these classic superficial questions we are asked by Christian leaders to make us feel guilty and then we go on and do nothing with. If I said I was in love with my wife, but everyone who I encountered daily didn't even know I was married, yet alone my wife's name, would you really say I was in love? Are you in love with Jesus? Does your life reflect this? Do you know that he is in love with you? A lifestyle of surrendering to Jesus is reflected by being someone of good reputation. Remember, Stephen was falsely accused and hated by those who killed him. So the way we are defining good is through Jesus' definition of good. A good reputation doesn't mean that everyone loves you or even likes you. It means you are known as someone in love with Jesus and that is reflected by the fruit of the Spirit in your life. These characteristics I mentioned in the previous paragraph are not characteristics you can work towards. This is not a cry to try harder. That is why in Acts, the requirement that followed being of good reputation is being full of the Holy Spirit. You can have a good reputation and not be full of the Holy Spirit, but you cannot be full of the Spirit and have a bad reputation. Maybe you are like me and your answers to those previous questions is I'm not sure what people would say. The way you and I can have our answer be yes in confidence is not by trying harder or making goals for ourselves. It is actually from surrendering to Jesus and spending time with Him. As we surrender and spend time with God, the Holy Spirit will fill us. You may not physically feel anything when you surrender these things, but I know God is doing something in your heart and in those moments. I recently had a conversation with a young man, he was about 15 years old, who was a follower of Jesus who was struggling with pornography. I asked him, do you want to stop looking at porn? And if so, how do you think you can stop this addiction? He said he wanted to stop, and he just needed to wake up daily and make a choice to stop looking at porn. This response was one I would have given as well when I was in high school. Therefore, I totally understood where he was coming from. But I told him that wouldn't work. I told him to stop trying to stop looking at porn. He looked at me confused and concerned. I said, if you want to stop looking at porn, start looking at Jesus and spend as much time as you can with him. The context that led to this conversation was that I had just led a talk at a youth conference breakout session on how to hear from God. I told this young man he had been forgiven from every sin he committed. Every time he has ever or would ever look at porn has been completely forgiven by Jesus. Therefore, why would you focus on stopping something that Jesus has already taken care of? Of course, I wasn't telling him to keep looking at porn, but I was telling him the more times you spend with Jesus, the less time you'll be looking at porn, and when temptation comes, you will have strength you wouldn't have already had if you did not spend that time with Jesus. Pornography was the fruit of a deeper-rooted issue. I believe that this is what Paul is getting at in his letter to Romans, specifically chapters 1 to 8. We are not strong enough to break the chains of our addictions in our lives. There is only one who is. 
Jesus is the chain breaker. If we don't work to earn God's love, why would we now have to work towards our freedom from addiction or sin? I am not denying addiction is a serious and messy thing. I work alongside people who would identify as struggling with addictions at the church my wife and I are currently serving at. So when I say this statement, I don't say it lightly. Just as we live from love and not for it, we also live from a place of freedom even if we are not currently freed from the temptation or pull of addiction. Sometimes our physical body, including our mind, just takes time to catch up with our spirit. Remember, we are still called to daily surrender and obedience, but it is always from a response of what he has already done. Why I say all this is that if you are like me and don't know what people would say or what your reputation would be, the solution is actually quite simple. Surrender and spend as much time as you can with Jesus. Jesus says you can tell a person by their fruit. A good reputation is a fruit that is rooted in someone who is daily abiding in Jesus through surrendering and submitting to his ways above their own. This is good news for you and for me. Jesus promises you and me that as we stay rooted in him, these fruit will come. The fruits are a result of a lifestyle surrendered to him. The fruit of the Spirit comes naturally for those who are rooted in him. Our fruit reflects our root. And some of us, including myself, need to put this book down and ask the hard question of Jesus about the fruit in our life. I feel really strongly that I need to finish this chapter reminding of something I have already written about in the previous chapter. I know that probably goes against the ways books are quote-unquote supposed to be written, but I can't run from this thought. In chapter 12, An Unsuspecting Weed, I am going to be real honest right now. I am so tired of hearing Christians and especially pastors share their same four stories where God showed up in their life. This makes absolutely no sense when we are followers of Jesus. John said if they recorded all the miracles and signs of the kingdom that were demonstrated by Jesus, there would not be enough room in any book to contain it. This didn't stop when Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. If anything, it increased in the earthly believers because of the reception of the Holy Spirit. We are called to sing a new song. This does not mean we neglect the old, but we are constantly seeing God's character being revealed in our lives, and our response is to worship Him with fresh words. Some of us have a good reputation as defined by Stephen's life. Some of us can look back at a time where we were fully surrendered to Him and it was seen in the way we lived. Let us be careful as we seriously look at the fruit in our lives that we don't be deceived by the genuine fruit we saw in our past, blinding us in our ability to see the lack of fruit we have in our present life. It's really easy as followers, especially those who have been all in for Jesus, to forget the fruit we see is a byproduct of being with Him. Yesterday's fruit does not equal us being rooted in Him today. Remember this fruit and root thing is good news, not bad. If this is hitting you the way it is me, know that it's because Jesus is inviting us to go deeper rooted in Him. Somewhere along the line, I have let my desire for fruit get in the way of being rooted in and with the Father. I own that, and now I choose to give this to my Father, who is faithful to forgive me and you. I say yes to this invitation. I hope you do too.